on. Had a couple of good calls. I talked to Omri this morning, talked to a couple other folks. A lot of people are, have some really good stuff they're working on. Really cool projects, I guess. I hate project as a word, but a lot of people doing really cool things. Omri is really good people. I really, really enjoy his vibe, and I love, uh, I love that he's a friend. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. Um, I was trying to read through that class action. I, I don't know if I even care to even form an opinion. It's what we talked about when we started. It's very easy for a plaintiff to kind of bring these things, even if the SEC chooses not to. How are you today? I'm doing well, man. You know, just practicing law, trying to unpack all this stuff that's going on in the space, trying to bring content and value to people so they can understand and keep up with what's going on. And I see we got the infamous Ash in the uh, in the space today. Maybe he will make a cameo appearance and offer some alpha. Uh, Near McDeer is here, I think. And we got Matt. So we got a good good panel of lawyers. We've got Carlos Martinez is here. Pablo's here. So I think we have a good platform for a conversation. And I invite any of them who are available to come up and ask to speak. Now, while we wait on that, I'm going to do the disclaimer, Jenko. Go for it. All right, everybody. Welcome to Lawline. Brought to you in conjunction with Rug Radio. Lawline with Carlo and Jenko is where we talk about current trends in Web3 and NFT law. Everything that we discuss in this Twitter space is strictly for our own informational purposes. It is not to be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, you should consult a lawyer privately who is licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. This Twitter space is recorded, which means we may use it and rebroadcast it on other platforms. So that being said, I pinned my thread this morning, which has gotten a great deal of interest concerning this Solana lawsuit that was filed. I think it's an interesting development, Jenko, and I think it has very far-reaching potential implications for the space because the plaintiffs appear to make a very, uh, at least on its surface, and again, these are allegations and they need to bring evidence and support their allegations, but on its surface, what they are alleging seems to make a compelling case that Solana was marketed as an unregistered security. And it's going to be up to them now to prove that. And it's going to be up to Solana now to raise defenses to this. I'd love to get some thoughts from the lawyers who are here as to what they think about the allegations in this lawsuit. And since you're on the hot seat, Jenko, what do you think? I think it, um, the private right of action is very underused here. Everyone talks about SEC and security or not, but it's very, I just burned myself. Um, it's very easy to bring this private suit. So you almost can't, projects cannot hide away and say, well, you know, the SEC is not going to come after me. Like, like the, the probability is just exponentially higher with these types of suits. So, so the far-reaching effect could be they've given, they've awoken the plaintiff's bar to this, which we've talked about. I don't think it's a good thing for the space, but I think it's inevitable that at least at some point the pendulum's going to swing where like these private right of actions are going to go. And there may be competing classes. Other attorneys want to want to want to get a, a slice of the fee. You can, and if it's Solana, you can just copy and paste the complaint and go down the list of many of these other fungible tokens and NFT projects, if you wish. So, like, it, it it's troublesome to me um, that regardless of what the SEC says or doesn't say in this period of ambiguity, um, plaintiffs. I mean, and that's me. I mean, that's where I made my 
livelihood for a very, very long time and, and got a lot of my experience. Like, it's, it's, all, it's too easy for the plaintiffs to come through and really mess things up or just take, you know, settlements and then go down the list. But it can stifle innovation and have a chilling effect. Um, You're absolutely right. And it also kind of gives the SEC a way to simply just sit back and watch the litigation unfold. Yeah, and, and, and see the defenses and see the documents and the discovery before they even have to pursue it. It's almost like um, it's almost like shadowing the case and getting to sort of have a mock litigation in preparation for whatever action they may launch. And then they have the benefit of all the discovery that's been done in this case, all the depositions and all the sworn testimony and all the documents produced. Um, This, this is interesting. Different burden of proof, different standards on many of the elements. But, but when I say this private right of of that, it's, it's like an analogous, uh, a parallel civil right. And, and, you know, it goes without saying it, it, it's foolish if I ignore it. But um, politics aside, this private right of action is now being used as a tool to get some of the more controversial um, state um, um, rules to take effect. Some of the new abortion state laws include a private right of action by a state citizen to sue the med- the out-of-state medical provider. So there's all like like this little kind of tool in a bill or in a law that or in a statute that gives a private right to enforce it is just it's a plaintiff's fucking dream. It's just crazy. It's just it's crazy. So it, it's it's often underappreciated, I think. So a tool that I use that, that my the people who taught me to litigate really, really took advantage of. Yeah, it it it's inevitable and it's gonna leverage this project to consider a settlement. And it's interesting that it was brought as a class action. Um so that opens up the law firm who brought the case to exponentially greater opportunity to grow the plaintiff base and recover bigger fees. Interesting. It could be a class, but it could, I mean, it, the economics are upside down. If you, if you bring it individually, I think the only other alternative to a class, I like this multi-district litigation that they set up, whether it's against like, um, the asbestos companies or certain insurers or some of the COVID stuff, I think on an MDL, you can set up multiple thousands of parallel individual plaintiff cases without kind of lumping them into the class. Um, and the judge can still kind of reject the class at this point. They still need to get to class certification. So that's kind of down the road after the complaint. Um, but if they reject the class as not being, you know, um, uh, um, tied together enough or, or folks were, were individually harmed, that would be a way to stifle this kind of plaintiff's aggression because it's a hell of a lot more costly to run an MDL on the plaintiff's side. Yeah, um, I was thinking that same thing. So that's thing, kind of where you can land and kind of balance this out because if it is an individual pri- private right of action, you're suing to enforce kind of your individual thing. So, so we'll see how that goes. I was thinking the same thing, and I want to hear from Matt on this, too, because I know he has some thoughts. I was thinking the same thing. Have they made their job a lot more difficult by going the route of class action? And are they are they now burdened with having to jump through all the procedural hoops that come with certifying the class, with identifying the I feel the that's the only way to get to damages that are worth enough for a lawyer to take the case, though. Yeah, because no one individual plaintiff. No one could, individual would yeah. be worth it. So I think that's the easiest route for that type of firm that, that's set up for that, it, to be honest. An MDL would be exponentially more expensive for the plaintiff. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Yeah, man, you took the bait. Welcome, Matt. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, I, I got a meeting at, at one, but I wanted to just mention one thing um, regarding you know the SEC and other governmental entities, even state 
governments and regulators and stuff being able to sit back and kind of watch. Uh, the downside to not participating is you're never going to get any, um, you're never going to be able to likely use any collateral estoppel or any issue preclusion um, out of that. Also, while you can reap the benefits of discovery and see what's in discovery, you can't participate. Um, I've had this come up where it's like, okay, cool. We're not in an action. We can kind of just monitor it. But the problem is if you have interest in it, and I use that term loosely, um, you can't be there to either make sure nobody pounces on your client. In this case, that might not apply, but, or, you know, to even ask questions that are better. In addition, what you can get, and this could be good, it could be bad, you may get inconsistent testimony, um, which then could be problematic. Now, that might help the SEC if, or anybody else that they're already getting some testimony from some people. It's sworn, you know, it's likely going to be admissible subject to, to any hearsay, you know, issues, but you're going to be able to get that. But it, it, depending on what comes out, it could make things a little bit murky uh, for them if they're actually looking to jump in and, and do something surrounding, you know, this set of circumstances. It gives I a practice he, run for the other side. I think, Matt, yeah. you're absolutely right. Thanks for joining, Matt. You're absolutely right. Go ahead, Carl. Matt, I think you, you, I think you may have floated the idea of could the SEC intervene as a party in this case because they, they brought the XRP lawsuit alleging the XRP, if I recall correctly, XRP was a security. Could they, could they piggyback on this claim? Yeah, I mean, it's an issue of you know, necessary versus uh, indispensable parties. And, um, you know, and is it a necessary party or is it indispensable? You know, are you, should you be there? Do you have to be there? I don't think they have to be, um, but they may want to be, to be because there's going to be a record of something going forward. If you're getting sworn testimony, you're giving statements, you're having other discovery, you know, they, they have subpoena power, they have all this other power. But to be actually involved in the litigation and you may get some sort of um, the court may grant some sort of relief regarding uh, I don't know, confidentiality, but they may keep things a little quiet or do a lot of stuff in camera uh, that you wouldn't necessarily get if you're just a normal member of the public. So maybe, you know, I'm just I was just thinking of it in terms of, wow, wouldn't you want to get in on that? just to make sure you can kind of observe it and step in if you need to, because you can observe it without being a party to the action, but there's only so much you can do. It can really hurt your case going forward um, or it could help, you know, who knows The people could do a lot of incriminating stuff. I, you, you would think that they have counsel and counsel is, is advising them. And, you know, even if there's no, uh, possible way of, of, of incrimination or, you know, to try to keep it narrow in terms of your responses in a deposition, but still that's, you know, going to be sworn testimony. And by the time you get to that point, who knows what else will be going on? You know, there may be other investigations and people may start pleading the fifth, but anyway, that's a ways away. I just thought it was something to think about as all this stuff basically was involving, evolving, um, you know, do they want to be sitting there on the sidelines or do they want to get in there and play? I can't cite the case, but I know I've done the research and a regulatory body just generally speaking, the rule is that they're not found to be necessary parties to these private right of actions that are parallel. They have their own kind of administrative processes and, and kind of standards, but Thanks, Matt. Josh, what's up? GM, Josh. Hey guys, um, I'm like, man, I got a call at one, two, but I just wanted to chime in that um, early in, in our firm's existence, we had a class action suit against Anheuser-Busch and obviously apples to oranges, you know, obviously apples to oranges here. We were ultimately not successful. And I will say sometimes the class requirements, particularly in federal court, can get kind of finicky so i mean i know here it's about buying tokens right it's a little bit more straightforward than this amount of beer or that amount of beer but there those procedural hurdles if not navigated appropriately 
can really hamstring um, a prosecution of a case like this. And additionally, depending on the judge as well. And at least down here in Florida, um, my partner does appellate and litigation support. And I know the courts have been really clamping down on plaintiffs. I'm, I'm just very, very curious because everyone's assuming of how this suit's going to, not everyone here, but like just generally people in general are assuming it's going to be a slam dunk for plaintiffs. And depending on how they lay out the allegations, I'm very, very, very curious to see how it all plays out. I just really am. It's a high bar to win a case like this um, as a plaintiff. And this class, sir, folks don't know, my pinned tweet is the disabled NFL players at the beginning of Corona. They took away... I don't know what it was, 30 or $40 million in benefits each year for 10 years. So it was like 350 mil. And because they all didn't have the same disability, they all didn't have the same medical, the class certification was in question. And they had a real defense to that. We ended up getting them to agree to just pay the, 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 the disability that we were seeking outside of court, which was a huge, huge win. But the class certification is something that was so straightforward to me on the facts was very much in question when it came down to the papers. And that was surprising to me. So, and Josh is absolutely right. It's a big Same hurdle. thing here. We thought it was straightforward on the facts. And it's not well. procedural. That's sub, sub, substantive. I think, I think, but, but go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. Well, in, you know, I was looking at the floor price of Solana and it doesn't seem to have, affected it much although it's obviously down like everything else from all-time highs it's up about nine percent as i can see so it's still trading in the green um will the ripple pardon the pun ripple effects of this lawsuit impact that that floor price and what is it going to do to investor confidence in this token um it these will be interesting things to observe because that's the threat that i think you we're talking about Jenko for projects, NFT projects, token projects. It's a cost of doing business, and now they have to absorb that into their business model. What's the end game before we move on? Is it some sort of fine that is in the grand scheme of things the Solana Foundation has? Or is it something that really could impact their existence? Does anyone well, have if, a guess on that? You're the consumer law guy. So if there's a deceptive trade practice going on here, which it seems like under the surface, what they're saying is that it was not properly registered, that it was marketed in a way uh, that that was obviously for the for the for the for the individual investor was not completely disclosed. And one of the most interesting observations that I pulled from the complaint is that they retained almost 50% of the total token pool, which kind of gives that argument that this is an investment contract based on the efforts of, of a third party of others. So if they get to some kind of consumer fraud here, are they, are they in, a, in, a, in the wheelhouse for treble damages? Treble damage. I mean, that's what plaintiff, that's what they like to say and scare you into to settling. Um, do you collect any art on te- Tezos? No, no. Tezos settled. I, I don't, I'm not near a computer. My phone will rug me if I search, but I think they settled for something under 30 million for the same exact thing. And that now hurts. they're one of the, well, when your market cap is a magnitude of that or more, like it, it hurts, but it's not a threat to their existence. And Tezos so, so now is one of the business. biggest. Yeah, I think I think that it's nothing. I don't know. They did egregious acts. They were either found guilty or a settlement, and I think it was under thirty mil. And they just life went on, and now they have this beautiful platform, and now they're kind of a hub of art. Um, so they kind of didn't go into oblivion. They persisted. Well, one of the things that the complaint spends a lot of time talking about is the fact that it's not necessarily a decentralized platform and it's largely in, in their allegations, a more centralized platform because it is dependent on the efforts of others. So they're essentially, I think, trying to distinguish from Ethereum 
which is viewed more as a commodity that was put out, that was developed, that has its own foundation, but that the token holders are largely more diverse and more spread out, whereas this is more closely held and influenced by the, by the actions of the founders who hold the majority of the tokens. So it, this is an interesting theory that they're going under. I mean, they have to attack the Howey test somehow. And I mean, one of the big criticisms from the investing community or the NFT community was, you know, a bunch of VCs hold, centrally hold salt. So I think it's, and, and there's been podcasts where um, some of those early investors have alluded to it, that that's exactly how it was set up. So like, I think that's a very relevant point to two things, to, to the control issue in Howie, but also a consumer issue of what they were being sold versus the reality. Were they being sold this decentralized blockchain technology when in reality they knew it was being held, regardless of Howie? It's just um, it doesn't align with their, their marketing. So I think so it's, pulling- it's relative. Right. Yeah, so so pulling back from the from the implications for the Solana team and the project itself and the holders, you have the bigger the bigger argument or the bigger concern here that this could create some precedent that could more clearly we could get some court decisions that could more clearly define the parameters of an investment contract based on the efforts of others and the expectation of appreciation based on the efforts of I others. I think so. Yeah, that's the far-reaching implications that I see in this case. Is this case, if it doesn't go summary judgment or settlement, if it goes the distance, it could generate, well, even if it goes summary judgment, it could generate some court opinions that could get taken up on appeal, uh, some court rulings that could get taken up on appeal that could generate some court opinions that could really sort of clarify. And that's where the SEC might have a real tactical advantage here because the court may do a lot of the heavy lifting here to make it easier for them to bring their claims because they'll then have precedent to rely upon, which right now they don't have a whole lot. Now, the that makes entire, a lot of sense. You know, the entire space has got to have the answer to this, Janko, because I think this is really the, the critical question for today's space. What are you cooking right now that you burned yourself? Oh, my God. I've got a steak. It's resting right now. But I have one of these broilers. It gets up to 800 degrees Celsius. It's a, it's a, so, like, every dish that you ever use near it stays hot for a very long time. So you got a little bit of a chef's kitchen going on then if you, like, if you got yeah, that I'm kind an of animal. commercial – yeah, Me it's too. a commercial broiler from a restaurant. It is hysterical to me how many how many common common things you and I share. Yeah, being we're two good people friends. that have never met each other. <laughs> but yeah, uh, for anyone who follows me, you know I'm a habitual cook, and I I'm posting all the time. Damn, you got an 800 degree broiler. You're you you got to be rocking some serious ventilation to pull out all that heat the whole so, ventilation the whole thing we've got it installed impressive, it's impressive awesome. impressive Janko. and then you cook the steak literally in like two minutes and the resting is the cooking yeah so you get a really hot 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 sear on the outside and then you just let that do, yep. the, ro- do the work while it rests interesting yep. and a steak for lunch you are really uh you really are a bon an animal a bon vivant <laughs> Excellent. Well, nobody seems to want to come up and talk. I got all these lawyers in here. Come on, man. We're going to be talking steak unless we bring somebody up. Let's do this. Ellie, you got nothing? I think we should. I wanted to ask, like, what, how, how can we improve the show a little? Like, do we want more format? Do we want more, like, segmented, predetermined stuff or... How's it going for the audience? Good question. We just brought up uh, uh, Wagon, <laughs> Wagon, Wagon, Wendy. What's up, Wagon, Wagon, Wendy? I love your rug token. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. That's my dog. <laughs> um, I Oh, yeah, my, my rug. I love my rug, too. Um, I have a question about, um, and I'm pretty new to crypto. 
But um, what, how will the lawsuit affect projects that are built on the chain in terms of their value, um, in terms of their, you know, something happens to the chain itself, what happens to the projects that are created on it? You know, I think that largely depends on the outcome of the lawsuit. Obviously, any negative press about the underlying blockchain um, could be problematic for, for project floor prices because the entire ecosystem is built on a what is arguably not a completely decentralized platform. So if the underlying team collapses because of the lawsuit, let's say worst case scenario, the entire team collapses, what does that do to the underlying blockchain? That's where I think Ethereum is a more self-sustaining, um, immutable blockchain. Would that be a fair assessment, Jenko, that you know, the worst case scenario, bankruptcy, liquidation of the of these underlying Solana organization. What does that do to the chain itself? And then what does that do to everything that's on that chain? Good question. That worst case scenario, I kind of can't play out. But I think if there's a settlement, even if they're hit very hard with some sort of judgment, like those, that's the market we're in. Like there's no real clear answer to that. But that's kind of the, the million dollar question because you can make money on the way up and on the way down if you play it right. So like trying to have the insight onto these lawsuits, we kind of have approached it where like we, we can kind of tell the future of the news, how the market reacts to the news. We don't know. But from a security or um, permanence point of view, I mean, it. Yeah, there's differences among the chains, but it's how it comes down to how they're supported. And if there is a majority of these nodes owned and controlled by insiders or whatever organization and something occurs to that organization, then it's it's could be threatened. But I don't see that worst case scenario having a high probability in my head. I don't know. Yeah, that's very, very remote. But it, it's an interesting thought experiment. What if somebody brought a similar lawsuit against the Ethereum Foundation? What would that look like and what threat would that be to the underlying blockchain and the the tokens that are supported, including NFTs? That's a thought experiment. I don't I don't know. That's that's very theoretical in nature. But a good question. Good question. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I know there's a project like the Zora project. They're both on the chain. Um, a lot of artists that are minting on the chain. And so I just, yeah, I was just curious you know, about how really if something um, happened to it, how things would play out. But I guess that is to be determined. Yeah, because you would, you would think it'd have to be a massive hit that this lawsuit triggered. I mean, it would have to be, they would have to really get a either bad, bad, bad verdict against them that would break them. And like Jenko said, they have such a big market cap. Could they absorb that? Or some sort of mandate to shut down from a court, which is just a remote possibility, right? Yeah, yeah. We can and entertain then, any. Yeah, in theory, we can entertain any possibility on this space because we're just talking. We're just talking and strictly speculating and talking in theory. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. What were your further thoughts? Yeah, I, I was wondering if you knew of any smaller chain um, where something like that had happened before, where the chain had been shut down and what... Um, what had happened to projects built on the chain. I'm not aware of anything myself, but I was curious. I don't know of any precedent. Um, uh, I mean, all those ICOs went, came and went, but these yeah, NFT ICOs projects are kind of new, a newer exactly. animal. Hey, what's going Tatted on? Tatted lawyer, long time, no talk. Go ahead, man. man. Yes. Up? How you doing, brother? Uh, no, I just wanted to, Very good. I, I saw you guys were on this space and I think this is such an interesting topic and I wanted to time, chime in real quick on, uh, the theoretical lawsuit against Ethereum, I think with what Ethereum is currently doing with the merge and switching to the proof of stake system, I think that is going to safeguard them a lot. So if any kind of like uh, regulation is brought against them, I do think they have uh, a really solid defense against uh, them, or excuse me, against the Ethereum, the initial Ethereum offering being uh, unregistered sales securities. And because they are already switching their system and the merge is expected to happen sometime between August and November, 
Um, because they've already essentially remedied it and, and switched fully to proof of stake, I do think they would have the defenses against a lawsuit to be able to essentially settle the lawsuit for like a negligible amount if it ever happened. Could you yeah. walk me through why you believe proof of stake? <clears throat> and I'm not saying you, I'm saying I mean, it's widely. Walk me through that logic of proof of stake <clears throat> is less at peril by the SEC than proof of work. Uh, well, proof of work is essentially like a, well, proof of work actually isn't, I don't actually think that's under much peril as well. Proof of work is easier to prove that it's centralized because like, for example, what is it like 51% of the Bitcoin, uh, miners are, are coagulated under, under like three different, like main players. So like that is what can come off as this like centralized, like you're really proving transactions from these like centralized networks, but with the with the Ethereum's move to proof of stake, there's I think it, I think the number of people staking right now is like uh, I, I want well this is a while ago but I know it was like over like two hundred thousand people last year so that is like a pretty easy argument to make that it's like a decentralized aspect uh, which would safeguard uh, Ethereum because it's literally saying the stakers are the ones that are securing the network not us as the Ethereum Foundation like they might be making improvements to the network which is clearly what they're doing. Um, but does that, are they expecting the price of Ethereum to rise because they're making improvements to the network? I mean, that's, that's an argument that can be made one way or the other, but I do think there's really plausible arguments that say, well, no, we're not expecting it to rise, but the value of the entire system might rise just because it's now a more, uh, productive system. But with the expectations of profits or relying on others for the work, technically as a staker, you are now. Uh, contributing to the security of the Ethereum blockchain. So that would likely overcome any type of Howey test. And and just talking to my own friends who still work at the SEC, the SEC like doesn't get this at all. <laughs> or they, they do get it to some extent, but it's kind of over their head. So like just that kind of basic argument about proof of stake and how uh, it is decentralized across all these different wallets, proving the proving the uh, security of the system, that would likely defeat any any kind of lawsuit challenges. Yeah, I, 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 I like your analysis. I think it's a more tenuous case to make against Ethereum. And you do bring an interesting insight to the table because you've been, you formerly were with the SEC and you still have close contacts there. And Jenko, if you want to talk about a TikTok uh, lawyer, Tadit is a TikTok lawyer. His TikTok Very account cool. is fire. Yes, I haven't made a lot lately. I'm going to start making a ton of videos about uh interoperability and how that's going to disrupt the traditional gaming space. But uh, I, I have to like get back on my, on my TikTok game. It's been a while. <laughs> Me too. Me that's too. Cool. I got to I got to confess. I've slept on TikTok lately just because honestly, I find this platform to be much more, more web three centric and more, more useful more for engagement. Yeah. More I'm not sure what to do with TikTok. Honestly, it's there. I got the following. I get the engagement, but I don't know what to do with it, to be completely honest. So maybe you and I can put our heads together and figure that out, Tadid. Agreed. I'm basically, what I'm going to do is I'm basically going to make a ton of videos about Web3 stuff and then repurpose them across different platforms. And just, I have the biggest following on TikTok, so I'll just like put them on TikTok first, but then I'll just, I'll try to port them to Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff. But I Duets. Do, I see duets yes. in our future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but no, very interesting conversation. What did you guys think over overall? Like, do you think Soul's in trouble? Because I do think that reading through the, the complaint, uh, there's some pretty legitimate, legitimate allegations in there. You know, we were kicking it around. Um, it's hard to know because obviously I take a very conservative approach and I say that these are allegations and they need to prove their allegations. But I also did comment and observe that they make a, quite a compelling case in their allegations. And I think the most compelling aspect of it is this 48% hold that the, that the sole core team seems to have on the overall supply of token. And that sort of gives the plaintiffs a lot of, a lot of fodder to make this argument that it is an investment contract that is tied to the efforts of that team, which is why I think it's more of a remote argument to make the same argument for Ethereum. So I don't know. Uh, you know, Jenko and I have talked about it before you jumped in, that this is to be expected. It's a cost of doing business. And maybe it's a negligible settlement that they've got to absorb and they can yeah. move on from this and be stronger. 
but it also on the larger scale could give the SEC some precedent that they can then carry forward into other enforcement actions that they tend to bring. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that, because one of the things we were kicking around is what is the SEC doing right now? Are they looking at this? Are they contemplating jumping into this lawsuit? Are they going to sit back and benefit from the discovery? How would you play this if you were an SEC lawyer? Uh, based off of what I just currently understand of what's currently going on inside the SEC, I expect them more so to sit back and see what happens and try to get the benefit of the discovery because Solana's biggest, in my opinion, Solana's biggest issue is the fact that the Solana Foundation can turn off the Solana blockchain anytime they want, which is not something that you can say about Ethereum. So the fact that they have the power to just shut off the blockchain gives the, the, as you said, a pretty compelling argument to the to the plaintiffs in this case that it wasn't unregistered sales securities because they have the power to just shut it on and off. They have 48% of the holdings. Like I'm, I'm really, really curious, but I don't, I don't think we'll see the SEC make too many moves right now. Also, the uh, I'm sure you guys have been following like the power of the SEC over the last like couple months has been substantially deflated in terms of like what they're able to do and what they're not able to do. So I think uh, I think right now they're going to probably sit back and wait and then also sit back and wait till we get these uh, uh, these different bill proposals that are currently going through Congress. uh, See if if any one of those gets signed in the next like 12 to 18 months, which is what is expected for these new bills to pass, um, because then they'll be able to exercise their power and be like, now we have the law on our side, whereas right now their internal jurisdictional power is being called into question in like a lot of different areas. So it'll be, I think, I think that's probably if I was right now in their shoes, that's what I would do is kind of sit back and wait because it would be terrible to, you know, uh, green light an enforcement action and then essentially have your enforcement action mean nothing, which is basically what just happened with their uh, internal investigation of all these people who own crypto and they were doing that, that investigation. And then they were like, Oh, you can't actually, you know, charge any of these people, you don't have the power to do that. But I think there's a lot of like uncertainty inside the SEC and they're trying to like become a voice, but I don't think they have like the the backing to do so at the moment. Yeah, I love it. I mean, Jenko, this this conversation and this particular episode makes me so bullish on what we're doing because just think about the amount of value that we're delivering here in that the people who are tuning into this and will listen to it later get to hear these insights from lawyers who who are very well connected to what's going on here. And and Tata, you you nailed it. I mean, just outstanding. All right, Eugene's coming up, insurance guy. So be on the lookout because Eugene will not hesitate to drop his opinions, and I love him for that. Bring it, Eugene. What's up, guys? What's going on? Thanks for having me on. GM, what's up, dude? Man, I was literally stuck in meeting, and Carl told me that uh... – you guys are going to have a little session about this. And I'm like, shit, I got to hop on ASAP. I have a question. So, like, I'm a huge believer in Solana where to a point where, like, part of me, a small part of me, it's like, is ETH, AOL, and Yahoo, and Solana is Google, right? And I got Solana at $13 from the initial time, you know, when they launched and slowly accumulated it. Ran it up to 250, didn't really sell it, but I have a good position. And now I've been buying up uh, Solana again, um, little by little. So, two things. One, like, could this be like the XRP situation where, because, you know, if it is, that's kind of scary for somebody like me who's holding a good amount. Because uh, I have it going to about 800 to 1200 a coin. Right. In what way, like the XRP? Like it's situation. fucking gone and. My, all my bags are <laughs> evaporated in <laughs> thin air. Like you see no price action for six years kind of thing? Yeah. And then saying. the second part of this is like the Carlo posted it two hours ago from what so I had a call coming in. I had to ignore it. One second. Yeah, so Carlo posted it two hours ago. So I've been watching the price, but there's this lawsuit and Seoul is still moving up. Right, so the lawsuit's a week old. Yeah, it's it's up almost on eleventh nine percent from when it was I filed. I think we did. So it part of me is like, is this just bullshit? Like, I just want to understand more. I didn't want to like hijack this all, but like, 
I'm incredibly interested. One, we're not there yet. Like, it could be a bullshit thing, or it could be a very intense lawsuit where a lot of bad things come out. It could be anywhere on the spectrum, and the complaint doesn't give enough. Like, my goal is five thousand. My goal is five thousand Solanas. Like, like that's how bullish I am. Let me ask you a question, and I, and I don't want to take the conversation away from the legal, the no, legal aspect, but uh, I'm curious. Uh, so I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in the development space. I'm creating, I, I run a blockchain, uh, uh, blockchain game development company. So I'm just curious, what, where does your bullishness about Solana come from? Super, super easy. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Super easy. I'll explain it super. Oh, by the way, you're in Miami. I'll give you a follow up. Although, here we go. I'm in Miami as well. Yeah, Tad. Tad, it's good people. And insurance, I got to say, jumping out of a meeting to join Lawline is major respect. And I appreciate I need that, to man. know because I'm like, I'm telling you. So, so Tad, here, here's my situation. Yes. Um, so I bought like a $200 NFT and it was a busy day on the ETH blockchain, right? And I, I wanted to grab it. It was something I wanted to have. And I end up paying like thirty bucks in gas, plus fifteen percent on a movement of two hundred dollars. Right. Um, and then, one, and then one time, um, I actually swapped. So buying an NFT is one thing, you know, cost of doing business. But then one time, um, I traded. I swapped. I had sent ETH to somebody, and I sent a thousand dollars of ETH, and I paid one hundred seventy dollars, and. It's not sustainable because if I want to move 10, 20, 30, 100, a million dollars in Ether is fine, right? Who gives a fuck if I pay a thousand bucks in gas fees? But most people, 320 million Americans, 7 billion people in the world, if we're all in this space and we're thinking it's early and everyone's going to use crypto, it's not sustainable that on a busy day in traffic, ETH is expensive to use. It's we gotta bring can I, to like do the summation. Well, so and it's also wait. Let me finish. Let me know, finish. Like, I want him to do my closing. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so it's finish. not. You're a great speaker. That's all. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. It's not sustainable that when other side had two hundred thousand people on, right? Like that's not a lot of fucking people. The gas was seven grand, seven fucking thousand dollars to buy uh, digital land. That was worth now less technically. So there's people that spend more money on the transaction than what the asset is actually worth. On Solana, I'll buy something and cost me a penny. I'll move Solana and it costs me nothing. I'll send a thousand Solanas from a wallet to a wallet and it'll arrive in seconds. It's just faster. It's a highway, right? It's a fucking highway and ETH at this point is a busy road. And part of me goes, okay, like AOL was awesome, but then it wasn't. Google came, and it was just faster. And we're talking about ETH 2.0. Well, Solana doesn't need an upgrade. So why are we going to ETH that already has an issue versus something that already has that's really, really good? And so can I come from, uh, from both? Uh, let me come from like a developer perspective, okay? So oh, yeah, I, be I, easy with me. I'm not really a techie guy. So no, I just totally fine. <laughs> that totally was fine. a fantastic I, speech, though. I think <laughs> I'm going to enlighten a lot of people based off what you're saying, because I hear a lot of these sentiments about ETH, about it's the transaction costs are high. It takes a long time. And people are like, that's why we're on Solana. But then the people who are on Solana don't understand that Solana has way less people on it than ETH and way less transactions. So like one of the reasons Solana's gas fees are so low is because they don't have the, the same kind of transaction volume that Ethereum currently has. And once they and if right now they can't handle the transaction volume that they're currently handling, how are they expected to handle that in the future once they do have a comparable transaction volume to what currently ETH has? And what a lot of people don't understand about the ETH blockchain and the Ethereum merge is Ethereum is not or excuse me, Ethereum the layer 1 is not being positioned to be a transactional layer. And that's, that's what a lot point. of people are that's not understanding about the Ethereum blockchain is it's not meant to make transactions. It's not meant to uh, produce new blocks. It's meant to be a data storage layer. 
And that is why Vitalik last year wrote that paper back in February, I think he released it, either January or February, about zero-knowledge roll-ups. Because zero-knowledge roll-ups are going to be the future of Ethereum, and zero-knowledge roll-ups are going to become the transactional block-creating layers of the Ethereum blockchain that rely fully on the Ethereum, uh, excuse me, the, the security of the Ethereum blockchain. So right now, Ethereum gas fees on the, on the layer one chain those are always going to be high because Ethereum's not positioning itself to be a transactional layer. It's positioning itself to be the data storage layer that then these rollups come in and scale the shit out of the network. And excuse me, excuse my language. That's like what a lot of people aren't understanding. And that's why my personal opinion, I am not bullish on Solana. I'm not bullish on Cosmos. I don't think it's the AOL. I think it's people are misunderstanding what their directions are. And I think a lot of these blockchains are going to die because they don't understand once I get to the same transactional volume that Ethereum currently has, I'm going to have these exact same issues that Ethereum is trying to solve. And Ethereum has already come up with a very comprehensive plan post-merge to solve these issues. And that's actually why I'm personally super bullish on Ethereum because I listen to their developer calls every month to see what they're doing and what they're planning for. And like, it is like basically out of everybody I talk to in Web3, like maybe like 1% of people actually know what's coming after the merge to proof of stake for the Ethereum network. Eugene, uh, no, before wait, I let you, no, before no I let you respond, oh. let, me, let me just add one more point in that it's, well, I'll let, I, I, I don't want to be redundant or, or take it. You, you go ahead, Eugene. I'll, I'll jump in after that. But but there's something I want to add on to what Tad had, had to say that I don't want to throw your response off course. I also want oh. to give Fidgetal a chance to chime in before we wrap up to Jenko. So definitely insurance guy. And then I want to hear from Fidgetal. No, for sure. I just want to say that like all that stuff makes total sense, right? Uh, I'm just coming in from an investor standpoint. Like all the stuff you said, Tad, is very, very technical. I'm just going from, well, let me pull it up. So like if Solana reaches, you know, 50% of what ETH was at the highest point, that's a $1,000 a coin, right? At 30 bucks, that's 35X for me, 30X, right? So I'm going, if they can do partly of what ETH is doing, it doesn't have to get to that level, right? So like the huge upside, like the, the conspiracy theory in my head is like, well, maybe it's Google versus AOL. But I don't really want it to be Google. Like, all my NFTs are on ETH. Like, everything I do is on ETH. I'm just like, okay, I think Solana, what happened to Solana is what happened to ETH in 2017, where it went from 1300 to 80. Solana goes from 250 to, you know, 30. It's a really similar percentage drop. And then it's going to run up to 80, you know, 800. And then I'm going to sell it, make a bunch of money, and buy more NFTs on ETH. That's fair. That's a short-term bullish as opposed to like long-term the ecosystem's going to fix the world. What's up? Yeah, I just want, I'm just a little Jewish guy trying to make some money. <laughs> Morning, guys. Um, I would substantively respond to that question, but there's a shit ton to unpack. Um, for me, the core is uh, you're always trading uh, cost for trust. Uh, and for me, trust always wins out. So if you're talking about being a quote-unquote investor, the, the not the accurate analysis. If you're talking about it being a speculator, then you're not necessarily wrong. Uh, ETH wins out. I don't. Uh, I don't fully agree that that the other chains die. Uh, I believe, like most M and A, robust uh, bridges will actually finally exist coming from Ethereum that will allow all chains to onboard and offboard, and each chain or the ones that survive or, or gobble up like-minded, uh, like-functioning chains will be used for the purposes that they're designed for, right? Um, Solana is cheap because it's fairly centralized and, and, and not very safe. Um, it, it has to be. Uh, and it's also important to point out to people that proof of stake that uh, Ethereum V2 is, is rolling out is not the same proof of stake that is the basis for the uh, speed and scale and low cost of other chains. But that's not why I wanted to come up. Um, I'm super interested in the lawsuit. I hadn't seen it before. Um, I was super surprised that Solana was so brazenly or, or stupidly all, for the most part, U.S. corpse, if that's accurate. Um, so it's, there aren't huge jurisdictional hurdles. Um, uh, and I'm super interested to see, see if they get certified. I posted a response uh, to your thread 
So how do they opt in? Uh, first of all, uh, uh, similarly situated is going to be interested, right? Did you buy it from the ICO? Did you buy it off an exchange? Did you buy it OTC? Um, and the, the, the similarly situated uh, requirement. But if they get certified, uh, obviously this will go away really damn quickly. Uh, it might probably even beforehand, just because they don't want to get into the certification stages. Um, how, are, how are people going to opt in? How are wallets going to opt in and, and, and fulfill the... And, and this is actually coming from a very large Solana holder friend of mine who I can't name, but I just reviewed his Magic Eden, Magic Eden investment uh, safe yesterday. Um, so I'm interested in the, the crossover implications. Uh, and then obviously the, the core issue of even if the... Right, this is a civil suit, so... Uh, it doesn't have the Ripple or the Tether issues of, right, if, if Ripple settles, how can Ripple continue to operate in the U.S. afterwards, right? It doesn't make sense. But I'm, I'm specifically interested in the opt-in part and what anybody's thoughts were from a legal perspective. Great points. I mean, they are incorporated in Delaware. Good observation. Is this going to be another on-chain notification system where instead of getting the typical letter in a class action lawsuit, you're going to get something airdropped in your wallet saying, hey, you bought, you meet the threshold under this under this uh, certification criteria, and here's your airdrop notice. What do you think, Janko? It could go either way. I I, I don't think the, the law, the lawyer, the conservator, or whoever's running that would have to even filter it out. They could traditionally just kind of advertise and publish. And then create an interface where the person can come in, obviously dox themselves, um, go through whatever the literature's certified by the judge to be given to p prospective class members. Do they have and to then, dox? Yeah. And Why? then I would assume that that's the way a, a judge would approve. Well, just think about it, Fidgetal, from the traditional settlement standpoint. Every law firm that engages in a settlement has got a W-9 and has got to keep track of how the funds were dispersed. Um, I think they there's have just to. not a system. I don't yeah. think the system would allow an on docs kind of claim. Although well, this claim may be very, very, very nominal per token. Um, but they can also have subclasses. You can get many classes certified for the same kind of case. So there's there's options there. What if this was what, what interestingly, first of all, I guess you could just air because due to cost, you could just airdrop every single Solana wallet that ever existed um, or that ever ha held a soul for a minute. Um, but what if this was a government uh, uh, lawsuit in the attempt to try to get people to KYC and they don't take a large uh, legal fee and they give large amounts to the holders? I had this discussion with somebody the other day. How much would it cost? At what point would you KYC, even though obviously you could create other wallets, and so those are uh, balancing countervailing forces, but it's an interesting concept uh, because I think at the end of the day, the only regulation that's really going to occur is is the focus on taxation, so a high focus on KYC. So just thoughts. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's again, the push and pull battle between it's, – it's, it's that push and pull battle that we constantly see here. Um, Anonymity is hard when you're going to be intervening into court cases. You, you can't have it both ways is my is my global thought on that. Yeah. Well, then it could be a big payday for the uh, named plaintiff. Well, it's the named plaintiff's firm, it will be a payday for if anyone. I want to respond just to Eugene, just to kick it out there. He's He's a good dude. We see him on a lot of spaces. Thanks for joining us today. But just to push back, piggyback on what Tad had said in the last moment. Um, the ease, if you're willing to trade kind of a central authority who can shut off the blockchain, kind of controlling 51 node, percent nodes, or some of the insecurities of, a, of, of Seoul, I think the future is bank-owned centralized chains that will give you all the benefits that Seoul gives you right now of quick, immediate, very inexpensive transfers. But the private banks, I think, will run their own coin, which could replace 
you know, three day wire services and ACHs. So I think that's a threat to Seoul kind of winning all that market share that people don't talk about. I, I think it's too easy to replicate. If I can we, add, by the way, real quick, have you no, guys? I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Have you guys checked out Chia? Like Chia. I've notes. heard about it. Yeah, I no it's, no Chia. Chia is an interesting chain. It's really I, fascinating, I, man. Yeah, I've heard the, I've heard the host of the uh, Proof uh, podcast. Um, uh, oh, give me his name, dude. I can't remember it. It's he's he's, he's the Moonbirds. Um, what the hell's Kevin his name? Rose. Kevin Rose. Yeah, I've heard him interview the founder of Chia. And it's an interesting chain and it's an interesting way of, of mining. Um, digital, you probably know more than I do, but uh, there's a, a lot TDLR. more than that. There's a lot more than that. Uh, the, the, the byte load is dramatic. Uh, they use a protocol for a consensus called uh, proof of space and time that I thought was a joke at first, but makes a lot of sense. Uh, you guys know Omakasi. He's a, uh, he's a pretty, you should follow him. He's, he's a dope person in the space. And then, Incredible mind and incredible coder. Uh, we're diving into it with my devs. Uh, there's a lot. Of the, a lot of the tools that I've implemented into my own smart contracts with my devs, like uh, uh, multi-sig minting requirements, uh, where anybody who's earning a royalty uh, has to approve a mint before it mints. Uh, uh, quantum data to reduce uh, data size to have more uh, content on chain. Uh, on-chain royalty distributions, uh, really, really cool chain. I'm not shilling it. I'm, I'm exploring it right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch a couple of projects uh, on that as well just to, to test it out. I'll keep you guys posted. Yeah, no, and it's, it's interesting. And to anyone who wants to know more about it, Kevin Rose uh, does have his podcast, and he did interview the founder of it, and it was an interesting conversation. It's not a very heavy lift to be a miner on that chain. And it seems to have an interesting reward mechanism as well. So worth taking a look at. And, and thank you for that. Jenko, uh, this was a phenomenal hour and a great conversation. Um, thank you to Tadid for jumping in and giving your insights and perspective. Yeah, join the us SEC. anytime you can, please. Always welcome. Always Give welcome. Tadid Eugene. A follow. Hey, appreciate that, guys. I, I honestly I try to join as much as possible. It's just... Uh, I'm, I'm winding down my legal profession right now and also, uh, running Very a, cool. a blockchain game development company. So <laughs> well, we want to, we want to hear your updates and if there's other sh opportunities for on rug radio to give you a platform, we'd love to. So, so stop by anytime. Yeah, oh, highly for appreciate sure. that guys. Thank you so much. Damn. Cheer was $27 two weeks ago. I would have made some money. <laughs> That's actually probably a really good investment, actually. What do you mean? Be careful in the bear cycle. Be careful in the bear. We are in the bear. I'm buying some right now. I'm not gonna. Well, I'm not, you think I'm gonna like allow myself be a year later, like July? Be like, 7th. remember that? Remember some random guy was like, "She is really good." And I looked at it, and I didn't buy it. There's zero chance that's happening. When we when we check back <laughs> His in with Eugene, thesis is just no regrets. It's no, when we check back in with Eugene, he's gonna have a rack in his closet of like 75 <laughs> iPhones mining Chia. <laughs> Wait, where would I buy it? Can I just buy it like on anywhere, like KuCoin? Or I don't know. It's a good idea. I hadn't thought about buying it. I, I think I'll get some bags later on. I, I'm, I'm wait. So I'm not you... following my own advice. You're not. No, I'm saying by I didn't even think of because I've I've just been exploring it, but I, I only invest in curious. projects that I believe in sub substantively. I mean, I mean, dude, I, when it in the peak of the bull market, it was sixteen hundred. I like coins that have a low supply; it only has four million, right? And it once it crashed really fast, it stayed like two hundred, a hundred. Is it? I don't a know. Coin? I don't know. I'm about to do some research. Yeah, drop some knowledge, uh, and and I'll reach out to the team as well. Uh, I'm sure they're probably actually doing some uh, some grants yeah. and stuff. So. I usually fuck around. I'm not going to buy it like blindly, but I'm definitely going to spend some time reading into it. I guess that's a good time to remind everyone this is not financial advice. Or legal. <laughs> or legal. I'm or buying legal. blindly. Eugene, if Don't you find something blindly. terrible, DM me. Otherwise, I'm in. Yeah, like, I'm, guys, like here, but here's the thing. Like in this space, right? It's a cost benefit of my time I, yeah. at some point. <laughs> no, but Carlos, like trying to get off the phone. <laughs> you, th you throw 5K at it, right? If it 10Xs, great. If it doesn't, who gives a fuck? 
live in Miami. That's how much it costs me to eat for lunch. Facts. Alpha, alpha from the insurance guy, <laughs> Eugene. You never, you never, you never disappoint, man. Thank you for. Joining I appreciate you guys. Appreciate it. Always. Peace. Later. Jenko, your steak turned out good. I'm about to find out. I, it was for my <laughs> fiance's, and now I got mine chilling there. All right. Well, it's rested. Peace. Enjoy it. Everyone Later. who joined us, please give a follow to the lawyers up here. As always, thank you for taking time out of your day to join Yo, us. Yo, we got Rebecca in the audience. I didn't even know. What's up, Rebecca? And Carlo, um, I've started hosting rooms a couple times a week that are that tend to be legal focused. Uh, Ira was in last night for like a couple hours. Love you to join. Uh, I'll make sure to invite you. They're uh, they're a little bit more in line with how I my philosophy that that I espouse in here. So would love. Yeah, that. the night the nighttime vibe is definitely different. So you're you're a brave man to venture into that space. What do you mean? <laughs> I love it. It's just a different vibe at night. It it attracts it definitely attracts a different audience. No, I only I Fidget only invite me up when you when you have it. I really yeah, I will nighttime vibe. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm not looking at the phone because I'm driving to the airport to head off to Napa, but um, uh, I'll probably have one tomorrow night. Um, so uh, please DM me so I remember who it is that's asking. And I'd love for everybody to join. Uh, open, open safe spaces. We haven't had a troll yet. No fights, just honest, deep opinions and, and conversation about everything Love in the future. Thanks, Carlo. Thank you, everyone. Cool. Hey, we'll talk- thanks, everybody. Peace. We'll man. talk soon.